have two scripture readings this morning. The first is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And our second scripture verse is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we are concluding a series of three weeks. We've been thinking about the Holy Spirit for today and the role of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in the first week we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit as the indwelling presence of God, the accessibility of God in the Holy Spirit who is always coming toward us in love that is always available and accessible to us even though we can't see it. And we remembered when Bree, Pastor Bree gave the children's message and blew into her hand as a way of remembering that even when we can't see the breath, uh, we know it's there and the Holy Spirit is always present in available to us. Last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit transforms us and shapes us from the inside out and we looked at, uh, at Donna Ree uh, and, and her pottery work as, as the potter forms the clay and so we surrender to the Holy Spirit who forms us in a beautiful and intricate and, uh, way over time to make us more and more into the character and likeness of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. He called the comforter in, in John's gospel the paraclete. Uh, I will send the paraclete. And the paraclete is one who is a comforter, one who is an advocate, like in a courtroom, who, who advocates for you when no one else ha can speak on your behalf. Um, it is one who comes alongside, who can, brings consolation, who guides you into the truth, who uh, gives you hope. All of these things Jesus promised that when he gave the early believers the Holy Spirit, when he sent the Holy Spirit, that they would be given these things. Um, and so we've seen the Holy Spirit um, working in our lives, transforming us, guiding us, leading us, shaping us. Today we conclude the series by thinking about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit who empowers and equips us to send us out to be God's hands and feet in the world. The Holy Spirit empowers the church, the people of God, um, to be God's voice, to minister to others, to reach out, and really to be a healing presence in the world. We are meant by the power of the Holy Spirit to show up in the world as a healing presence. Um, and so, as we think about that, I'd like to just look at some of these texts from the book of Acts, and we remember that Jesus uh, spoke some words before he ascended to heaven. So, after his crucifixion, uh, he was raised from the dead, and then he appeared to the disciples and the believers for a period of several weeks, seven weeks, actually, and then finally, he had his last supper with the disciples. So, there was the last supper before he died 
died in the upper room. Then he died, was raised from the dead, appeared with the disciples, and then he had another last supper with them before he ascended into heaven and left them. And so we read this in the book of Acts in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. While staying with them, he ordered them, this is the risen Christ before he's ascending, he's with the, with the early believers, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the, fa- for, of the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then if you go down a couple of verses to verse 8, um, Luke writes this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's this really interesting, phenomenal experience, event that took place in the life of the early church. The Greek word for power is the word dunamis, and it's where we get our word for dynamite. It also means ability. It means strength. It can refer to miracles. It can refer to mighty works. It can even refer to a potential um, that, that can be realized and emerge from something. Dunamis can mean all of these things in the New Testament. Um, and Jesus is promising that if they wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come in a powerful way and will fill them with this kind of, of power. And he uses the word baptize. That was familiar for them because John the Baptist was baptizing people and Jesus was a disciple of John the Baptist and his own baptism was a very significant uh, experience in his life and ministry. And so they're familiar with this concept, this new concept of being dunked in water and and baptism. But now he's saying, now you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is to say that you're not going to just have a little dropper of the Spirit or have a little glimpse of the Spirit. You're going to be totally immersed, like, like the life of the Spirit is going to take over. And then he writes this, uh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This means that you are going to see in ways that nobody else can see. You are going to see with spiritual eyes. It's interesting, this word witness. You know, I think that the church over the years has, has kind of messed this word up and we've missed the original meaning of the word witness. To think that as though we are the ones who do the converting. We've come to use the word witness as a way of saying now go and sell the Christian religion and get really creative and do everything everything you can to convert people and convert people and you will go and and in doing that you're going to be a witness and that's what you what it means to be a witness but that's not what the word actually means ask any courtroom judge uh, what is the role of the witness and he will tell you the last thing the jury wants is for the witness to get creative Just tell me what you saw, thank you very much. That's all we need. And frankly, as Christians, we are not the ones who do the converting. We are the ones who simply tell what we see, that Christ is coming toward us in love. Christ is present in all things, and Christ is with us. And so the mission of the Christian is to see Jesus, who makes all things holy by his presence, to declare his love and mercy and hope and salvation. Salvation for the world. That's what it means to be a witness. Can I get a witness? 
I want you to know what happened in the early church right after Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to the disciples. He ascends to heaven and the disciples are waiting. So he's like, we want you to wait here. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Just wait here. And, uh, and then he leaves, right? Like, yeah, okay, we're waiting, you know. Um, and uh, so that would have been an experience. And there was 120 people at this time, disciples, who were gathered together in that room. And it was called the upper room. And they met there daily for prayer and for waiting for the Holy Spirit. When is this Spirit going to come? And how in the world are we going to know when the Spirit comes anyway? But that's what they're doing. All right, Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. We're going to do it. Um, and so they're a little anxious, of course, about talking about Jesus out in town because he was just crucified seven weeks ago and it was quite dangerous to go and, and you know talk about being a follower of Jesus so there's trepidation and they're gathering together in this large room and they're praying and they're waiting and Jesus promised and and then this day of Pentecost comes and that's what we remembered last week was the day of Pentecost now the day of Pentecost was also the Jewish uh, feast day known as Shavuot and so, so, so thousands of Jews would have been in Jerusalem um, coming on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the spring harvest, this great feast day of Shavuot, which also, by the way, commemorated the giving of the law. And so they're coming, the Jews are coming to commemorate the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and on Pentecost, here comes the wind of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to in just a second, as a way of saying the, the age of the law that that chapter has closed now is the age of the Spirit. And so we read these words, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them. That's a little strange, don't you think? And a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. I love that powerful picture of this moment. They're gathering and this wind comes and it seems to be quite visceral and quite over, overwhelming. They heard the howling of the sound of the wind and they were filled with a breath and a power they couldn't contain and then they ran out into the streets. When I think about that power, I'm reminded, of course, and, and, and we're, I think we're meant to see this. The, again, the word for wind in the Bible is also the word for spirit. And we're meant to make that connection. Last week, I'm going to uh, share an excerpt from this book in a second. Last week, I was down I, um, spending a few days in solitude and in prayer um, backpacking in a place called Dark Canyon down in um, Bears Ears National Monument. And I was with my dog in my backpack and I was spending time in prayer and scripture and meditation for a few days. And it was brutal. Uh, it was brutal physically and emotionally for me. Um, I, I realized that I prefer to be with my wife um, and my family than to be in solitude for extended periods of time, but nevertheless, I was, and it was really important. And I got down into this canyon, and I felt very, very, very alone. And, 
And yet I knew in my head that God was with me, but my experience was that I was very alone. And I'm trying to bridge the gap between my head and my heart. And so I said, God, are you with me or am I really alone? Is any of this true that you're present to me, coming toward me in love, that you're sustaining these living things or am I really just alone here in a desert in a canyon? And in that, and, and at that moment, a wind, a breeze came and goes and swirls around and it goes boom. And I said, thank you. <laughs> and then I kept walking and then three minutes later, another one came. And then, and I realized that, well, it was just a windy day. And so every five minutes, the breeze was coming through and nevertheless, but that's where my imagination went. And I, I received that as gift to say, even though you're feeling one way, I'm gonna tell you another. The wind is powerful. Um, I want to share from, uh, from this book from Belden Lane. He was our retreat speaker, our men's retreat speaker. And in this book, he writes about his own backpacking as a spiritual practice and his traveling journeys. And he reflects metaphorically on the various landscapes and how the mountains and the caves and the, the oceans and all these things can teach us about our own spiritual lives as he would describe our interior landscapes. Um, so I just want to ponder for a moment what Belden writes about wind to build a little bit of a bridge between our understanding of the Holy Spirit, which is quite an esoteric concept, and our really everyday experience with wind. He, he's on Buford Mountain, and this is what he writes. Buford Mountain made me appreciate how much the mystery of wind and breath has absorbed the human imagination. We take air for granted, yet it captures our attention in persistent ways, from daily weather reports to respiratory problems. We attend to storm fronts, wind chill factors, and hurricanes. We watch out for chest congestion, shortness of breath, and allergies that affect our breathing. I remember as a child sitting over a bowl of steaming water with Vicks VapoRub, my head covered with a towel. I learned early not to take my own breathing for granted, hearing a doctor tell my mother, he's a weak child. The asthma makes him susceptible to every cold. It's hard for him to breathe. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> I, I knew the wheezing and whistling of each breath dragged from my lungs as if with a string attached. The movement of air, whether it's wind in the atmosphere or breath in our bodies, is a visceral reality. It affords an endless supply of symbolic meanings. In sacred stories everywhere, the divine takes joy in the ruckus majesty of wind. God answers Job out of the whirlwind. The fierce breath of the divine, the kamikaze in the Japanese Shinto tradition, brings justice in medieval tales. Aeolus, the Greek storm god, gives Odysseus a bag full of captured winds that prove impossible to contain. Jesus' disciples ask themselves, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? For Native Americans, winds are messengers of the great spirit. They signify the arrival of change, of new life. The whirlwind woman of the Arapaho and the cyclone woman of the Shawnee possess a fierce energy. You see their swirling hair in the tendrils of a tornado on the western plains, bringing visions and spiritual gifts as well as destruction. 
Life is kept in motion by the stirring of wind. And then he writes, all breathing, therefore, is holy. All breathing, therefore, is holy. When Jesus breathes on the disciples, they receive the Holy Spirit, John 20, 22. Elijah encounters the great mystery, not in a mighty wind that tore the mountains and shattered the rocks, but in the sound of a gentle breeze. The Russian pilgrim in the way of the pilgrim stands in awe at stormy winds sweeping over the slope, but it's the rhythmic breathing of prayer that touches his heart, as if God and he were breathing each other. In the Celtic tradition, a slight gust of air a mischievous fairy wind often awakens what is stirring within. It happened to C.S. Lewis one night in September in 1931 when a sudden whirlwind on an Oxford footpath changed his life. He and his friend J.R.R. Tolkien were strolling Addison's Walk talking about metaphor and myth. That's what you do when you stroll Addison's Walk. Lewis had always delighted in Norse mythology, but up until this time he dismissed myth and religious faith as no more than lies breathed through silver. A disenchanted world is what he saw. Just as Tolkien was pressing this case for divine mystery set loose in the world, a rush of air came so suddenly on the still, warm evening and sent so many leaves pattering down that we thought it was raining. We held our breath, said Lewis, caught up in the ecstasy of the moment. He later confessed that his readiness to believe stemmed from this experience. The movement of air is a mystery. Whether we feel it in our bodies or trace it on a weather map, it stirs as a dust devil rising from the Kansas plains, a perfect storm off the Grand Banks in the North Atlantic, a baby's first gasp for air, or an elderly woman's last breath in a nursing home. Wind arouses a sense of the ineffable. God rides a 40-knot wind across the southern Pacific, giving rise to 100-foot rogue waves, but God pants just as readily in the pains of a woman giving birth. The wind without is as astonishing as the wind within. God is coming toward us all the time, everywhere. Barbara Brown Taylor says that if you believe the Bible, there's no better proof that Jesus was who he said he was than the before and after pictures of the disciples. Before Pentecost, she says they were dense, timid bumblers who fled at the least sign of trouble. Think about Peter. Afterwards, they were fearless leaders. They healed the sick and cast out demons. They went to jail gladly where they sang hymns until the walls fell down. They had been liberated. They had been given the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when we wait patiently and attentively for the Holy Spirit to blow through our lives. And it doesn't always come in a moment like at Pentecost, but sometimes little by little, day by day as we attend to the Spirit moving. And what we found in the upper room experience is that they were gathered together. And when we gather together in worship, there's something about being with other believers 
and the Holy Spirit inhabiting that place with people. And so the Holy Spirit filled the disciples and they started to notice, some of the, the early leaders started to notice that when they were baptized and they were given the Holy Spirit, that something in them changed, that they were given some kind of special gift that could then be deployed and used to bring healing and, and to bring hope and, and uh, the kingdom to the world. And so um, Paul starts to understand that the, that the Spirit is now giving gifts, specific gifts to people. And in his letters, he writes about some of these gifts not exhaustively, but just some examples of what he's seen. And, uh, and, and then he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That is that everyone who is a believer has been given some, some specific aspect of the Spirit to manifest for the common good. What is your manifestation of the Spirit for the common good? In the church, God has appointed, it says, prophets, apostles, teachers, miracle workers, gifts of healing, ability to help others, leadership skills of different kinds. Um, and it's just one list. Again, it's not exhaustive. There are so many ways in which the Holy Spirit gives gifts to each and every one of us to use for the healing of the world. And so to be a Christian, if we're following Jesus, is both to be a witness in the sense of of proclaiming what we see in the world, but it also means to be in ministry with Jesus in the world. Um, uh, every day we are called to look out for those who need kindness and care and love and acceptance. I think about this pe people in our congregation and the many gifts that we have. Of course, we've been kind of naming some of those in this past couple of weeks, but you know, one example I think about is um, some women in our church who make prayer shawls for people when they are sick or in the hospital or suffering. And this has been going on. They've been doing this for decades now. And, um, and, and it's, a simple, it's a simple gift that is meant to, to be the, whole, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when you put this prayer shawl over your shoulders or on your lap while you're getting chemotherapy, um, you're to be reminded that we, Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church, are hugging you and you're being covered in our prayers. I couldn't um, make a prayer shawl to save my life. But there are these women here who have been given that vision and they do that. And it's the same thing with, uh, with, with quilts that are made and, and uh, the pottery that Donna Ree makes and the painting that, that Deb paints and, and all of the different ways in which we express and, and show our creative gifts to bless others. It's one of the greatest things about this congregation. Um, I think about people who work with spreadsheets. I hate spreadsheets, and I've tried to work with Excel. It drives me crazy. There's nothing worse than spending an hour on Excel for me. But there are some who can do it with their eyes closed, and I love that. And we have people who serve on and, and work with our facilities and in our finance team and in our, um, our administration. I think about what Sheila and what Sarah do every day, and, and uh, it's just wonderful, the gifts um, that the Spirit brings to us. And that's the thing is that everyone's there are different gifts and we use them all to to build up the body of Christ as Paul says for the common good so we're meant to be Christ's hands and voice not everybody can 
um, work with spreadsheets. Not everybody can make prayer shawls. Not everybody can teach. Not everybody can give blood in the blood drives. Almost everybody can write encouragement cards. But everybody has been given something to where you can bless others and have a purpose that is part of what the Spirit is doing. And that's a wonderful thing that we can be a part of what the Spirit is doing. And that leads me to say that the Holy Spirit is constantly working in our lives, constantly seeking to accomplish God's purposes in our lives. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit doesn't shout. The Holy Spirit whispers. And so that means that we it's important that we take time to kind of get rid of some of the noise in our lives in order to attend. These disciples, they waited patiently for the Spirit to come. And sometimes we've got to clear out the monkey mind that's bouncing around in our heads of all the things that we have to do and, and wait and listen. Um, and to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. What do you want to do with me? How can you use me? And then just get quiet and listen. Um, I know some, I, I think of all the places and things that I try uh, to connect with God, the most reliable place where, where I can hear the Holy Spirit confidently in a way that will make a difference is when I come to worship every week. And that might have something to do with God, but I think it has something more to do with me that I've conditioned myself over the years to be available when I come into this space. See, the, the, the question isn't whether God is speaking to us. The question is whether we're listening. And there are times and places where we can hear more clearly because we're more available. And that's the case for me when I come to worship. And so every time, every Sunday, I hear something. I hear God say something to me that I need to hear and that I want to take with me into the week. And the Holy Spirit's doing the same thing for each and every one of you. And I hope that you are making yourself available in that same way uh, when you gather in worship. Some of you, I know, will take notes or something and write down something you might want to remember and reflect upon uh, during the week, and that's a wonderful thing to do. But um, there are so many places where um, if someone had not been paying attention to the Holy Spirit, none of us would be here today. Uh, we have come to faith because of the faithfulness of others who listened and who shared it with us. And that's what we get to do as well. And so I want to invite you this week to allow the Holy Spirit to make you a witness who can see God um, where others only see matter in motion. You can see the Spirit. And, uh, and, I, and I want to remind you that whenever, or, or just invite you to remember yourself, whenever you feel the breeze this week, um, remember the imminent presence of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you see um, pottery of any kind, remember the potter who is forming you delicately and intimately in love to be his hands and feet in the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. We know it's for the common good. We pray that you will help us to be people who can see your goodness and love for each person. Help us to be loving, accepting, Help us to be attentive to your spirit blowing. Send us out that we might tell the world that sees um, darkness that there is light. There is light and there is hope. In Jesus' name, amen.